And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know. So you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge, to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, is being donated to the Ukraine cri- refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's one of her Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name, all editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And everybody, please welcome back Sarah Chardon to the show. She is absolutely an amazing writer. I have not seen imagery or flow the way she puts it together. I am super excited to have her here for you guys to experience her, to share her, to get to know her. She is going to change your world in regards to what you're reading and what you're writing. And hopefully all your reading happens because I'm hoping she's going to be your number one pick by the end of the show. So without further ado, please welcome Sarah. Thank you. So tell us about your new book. What was it about and, and what? made you excited to write it? So the new book is called The Secrets of Blyswood Square and it is set in Glasgow in 1846. And the, the, one of the main characters is a young woman who has trained with a very famous photographer. Photography in 1846 is a, a new science stroke art. Yeah. And, and not very many people know how to take photographs or how to process them. And Ellery has trained with David Octavius Hill, who is a painter and also one of Scotland's earliest and, um, and most acclaimed photographers, Victorian photographers. And she comes into some money and she decides she's going to set up her own studio. And she, he is in Edinburgh. So she decides she has to come to Scotland's other big city, Glasgow, which is where her mother is from. And she sets yeah. up a studio in St. Enoch Square in Glasgow and She's one of the very earliest female photographers. And so it's an exploration really of the female gaze and women's lives in this sort of early Victorian period and also of the city of Glasgow, which is 
almost a character in the book, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've lived in Glasgow and not now for 15 years. Definitely <clears throat> a character. You get to meet so many different people, so many different walks of life, you know, all doing different things. It's just really the best mm-hmm. melting pot you could ever ask for. So what makes you excited? I think Glasgow as well. Glasgow, Glasgow has this reputation as well as being a gritty city and a hard city. And in the Victorian era, yeah. there was... There was a lot of poverty here and, and still is. Yeah. But I think yeah, one of the things I wanted to particularly explore in the book is successful Glasgow. You know, Glasgow was this engine room. Glasgow was an enlightenment city of a different nature to Edinburgh, but, but very much sort of a thriving, bustling, exciting city, a bit of a melting pot. And I think, you know, people very often think of Glasgow's history in terms of you know, poverty and deprivation and crime and all of these things. And we forget that there was this other side to the story as well. And I think what people forget is Glasgow is extremely cultured. It's so driven to galleries, so driven to art, it's so driven to architecture, it's driven to constant change. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can't go to Glasgow one year, come back the next and something not changed. Like, whether it's like the main yeah, it's very different, or isn't a it? Building or something it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's constantly changing. And I always say that Glasgow is like the sleeping giant. It's always breathing. It's always testing you. It's always pushing you to dream and be better. And it's an amazing place if you want to feel inspiration in every footstep, every foot, you know, corner of every part of the city. That's the place to go for sure. I think so too. I mean, I now live in Glasgow. I didn't actually when I started to write this book. So it was a move we made part of the way uh, along that journey. Um, but I had always visited Glasgow and had always, always loved it. And that, of course, is Glasgow today. And I think today the city centre of Glasgow is one of the most exciting cities in Europe. But yeah. it's not as residential as it was no. in the Victorian era. And so this is a little look at, you know, the new town of Glasgow. The Glasgow was completely residential. Uh, and streets that today are almost entirely offices and businesses and bars and and restaurants and things. People actually lived in the centre of town. Well, um, I, I, I it also looked the very different. Technically, living there because the, there's some there that like <laughs> household cat. I've I've had a number of occasions where I've walked through the city and I've met one and I went, "Ooh, fuck! What the hell is that?" And I've just stood there waiting for <laughs> it to cross the road because I'm like, that thing could take me. Hmm. I think I'll just stand here, let it it do its thing, and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll cross to the other side, and we'll just be good. You know, I think that's the only thing that's really living in the cities on Earth is the is some wildlife. You know, but because I actually saw otters in Glasgow that are not too long ago. Wow, I've never seen otters in town. There's some, and there isn't as much bird life actually. Still live by the Water of Leith, and and there was a lot of bird life, but there isn't quite so much bird life in the city centre. But it's one That's of the most true. exciting, non-conformist, creative environments I think I've ever walked right into. So very happy to be staying here now. It is beautiful. And I think the the, the skies that you get in Glasgow too, like the colour mm. is not like anywhere else almost. Like the, the vibrancy that you get is is incredible. And mm. there's so many elements, like we could probably spend an entire hour talking about all the different elements Glasgow makes it amazing. <laughs> I was a tiny little sheltered girl from from the Shetland Islands who came to Glasgow, and I just 
my whole mind was blown. My eyes were huge. I didn't know about, you know, Catholic areas and Protestant areas. And I, I learned so much so quickly living in the East End, which is not mm. a very wealthy area, but it's where the working class usually live. And I'm just experiencing all these hardworking people and how they, they do these things and how they, they, they create all this stuff. And I still to this day will get people that will stop me and go, I can't place your accent, but you're not a Glaswegian. And I'm like, well, I've kind of been here 15 years. I feel like I'm a Glaswegian <laughs> at heart. You know, like I, I, no matter where I've lived, I've always come back to Glasgow. Glasgow's always sort of been like, as soon as I see that welcome to Glasgow sign, I get so happy and content inside. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's just in my blood. I'm like, I'm home. You know, and and I don't get that feeling anywhere else in the world. I've never never had that feeling anywhere else. So I'm I'm super excited by that. So tell us, what sparked the idea for this novel? What was your aha? I have to write this moment. I think I wander around with history in my head a lot, and I have been looking into Glasgow. The pictures of David Octavius Hill and his photography studio were kind of interesting to me. There have been a couple of major exhibitions featuring those uh, some of his painting and some also of his uh, his his photographs so i just felt there was a real story there i just felt that glasgow hadn't had a book that is set in this period that isn't miserable yeah. it's actually the book i wanted to write was joyful and fun and it was going to be a romp and there was going to be an ensemble cast of characters and i just thought nobody's done that in glasgow i think i'll give it a lash and you put your finger there on one of the interesting things or one of the interesting contrasts between, say, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Glasgow was founded on the church. Like it's one of the first things you talked about there was sectarianism and you didn't know who was Protestant and who was Catholic because you hadn't come from that. And Glasgow and the East End where you're talking about, you know, that was all church land. And so Glasgow yeah. was a very, very religious city. It was founded on the cathedral. You know, that fascinated me as well because it, that was, those were the people that were in charge. And it was a huge influence on the way that people lived in Glasgow, including lots of working class women and women who would be locked up, say, in the Lock Hospital because the Glasgow City Council had the right uh, to, 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 to put women in the Lock Hospital if they were considered immoral. And so it was just, there was just something very interesting about that environment for me. And I thought, I'm going to try and write a story around that. And what are the things that would allow me to discuss all of that stuff? And so Ellery, when she sets up her studio, takes photographs that people aren't really expecting. She, she takes a photograph of a kind of working class totem tree that people have a kind of folk belief in, for example. And, and nobody's valued that because that hasn't, you know, that hasn't been valued. Uh, and she befriends an heiress in the city. Glasgow's famous for its Victorian heiresses. It was a city where women inherited money in Scots law. This was something that was possible, much more possible than perhaps yeah, other places okay. in Europe. And so this girl has been brought up in the Free Kirk and is is recently in charge of this, what seems to be quite a large fortune and discovers that her father has a secret collection of erotic art that she feels she has to dispose of. And she she's out for debt. She doesn't know what to do. And so Ellery is her friend in this. Ellery can hook her up and, and help her sort of deal with her terrible problem. And I chose 1846 in particular because uh, Frederick Douglass, who was still actually an escaped slave in 1846 uh, and got his manumission papers. So this yeah. black activist came over to Scotland and toured the country and was really well received. 
but started a campaign against the Free Kirk. And the Free Kirk had just been set up and they had accepted money from plantation owners. And so Douglas started a give back the money campaign. And, and he, he, you know, people were amazed to hear him speak. He was a fantastic public speaker. And he went all over the country and gave public meetings about this money. And the, the campaign was really quite kind of vitriolic almost, you know, the Free Kirk fought back. And, and we don't think, we think of the Victorians being kind of terribly sedate and all the rest of it, but there was, you know, real bad blood between the Frederick Douglass Bring Back the Money campaign, which was people by lots of different people got behind that, particularly the Quakers in Scotland. And, and the Free Kirk, you know, the, the ministers and the, and the congregations of the Free Kirk who said, well, no, we're going to keep the money. And so that was really exciting to me as well, because we quite often are told the stories of, from our history that, you know, there was no division and nobody said no and everybody got on and, you yeah. know, everybody agreed. And of course, that's completely untrue. When does everybody agree about anything? And so the idea of Frederick Douglass being here and and this campaign sort of impinging on the story of the novel was really appealing to me. That's amazing. And I think we need more kind of Glaswegian stories. It isn't really about struggle and it isn't really about that darker element of Glasgow because there's so much more to be offered. And and I was lucky when I was in the, the Glasgow Royal Infirmary, an auxiliary who was retiring came in with all these books, historical books based in Glasgow. And had been written mm. by a Glaswegian author. I she reminds me a lot of Catherine Cookson. It was like a Glaswegian Catherine Cookson. <laughs> I adore these books to death. Like I will never part with them. I think they're absolutely amazing. And I think what you're offering is it's just that little the heaven of what the magic of what Glasgow could be, the magic of what Glasgow has to offer us. And mm. I think that. Well, the, the magic of what Glasgow was. I mean, this is absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, you know, it's a novel, but many of the characters in it are real. So it's not some fictional thing that Glasgow could be. Yeah. Glasgow was like this. You know, yeah. Glasgow was wealthy and successful and very integrated communities. And I think there's a sort of sense of people sort of do Glasgow's history down because particularly later in the Victorian period, there was this sort of terrible terrible immense poverty and you know it just went awry somewhere i'm not going to say it didn't but but this middle class kind of upper class side of glasgow was pretty extraordinary so i think we I need think, to you know i think most people think of how glasgow went wrong is is when there was just present day and i'm not that's i can't comment on that really no it's, it's a conversation between two friends it's not this isn't really okay. kind of a structured interview and i think that's what a lot mm-hmm. of people enjoy about the Life podcast because it's we just talk about things like we'll talk about, you know, how people came up with the ideas, what the book means to them, what the passion mm. that is, and, and also about their lives, like what drew them to writing, what drew them into this world, because everybody's got a different journey and it's about sharing the journey. Okay. So how, how was your journey to this point? I always feel like I'm a bit disappointing really in that regard because I started writing. I, I was, I had a job at the university in Edinburgh and I had a very young child and I, um, my marriage ended. My husband left country actually. He went back to Ireland. He's an Irish guy. And, and I was just very overwhelmed. I think I just couldn't really cope with looking after my daughter and looking after a flat and looking at, you know, nine to five job and all those things. And it was yeah. the very early nineties. And I had a little bit of money saved up and I thought, well, 
I think I need some time off. And I couldn't, I didn't feel, to be honest, I didn't feel I could take time off for me. I didn't say I could say I need some time out, but I could, I could say, I think I'm going to write a book. <laughs> yeah. So I, and it wasn't something that had ever been a huge ambition of mine. You know, I'd always enjoyed reading and I'd done it in Dishletter College and I decided that I was going to, I was going to write a book. And so I quit my job, which is terrible advice. Nobody should ever do this, to be honest. No, <laughs> sometimes I, I, I've been there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So people go to book festival and say, how do I become a writer? And I'd like, don't quit your job. It's probably a very bad idea. But anyway, I quit my job and I used this money to, 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 to give myself some time really. And I started to write and I just, I wrote very quickly a novel, which was a, a contemporary novel to the time. Yeah. It feels almost historical now, the early 1990s, doesn't it? It does a and little bit, yeah. I sent it, it off to a number of publishers. Like I just looked up Writers and Artists Yearbook and I, I, I printed out a load of copies and I sent them away. And before I knew it, I had an offer. Oh, hang on. The Wi-Fi network does not appear to be connected to the internet. I keep trying Wi-Fi. You're, you're with just me get... still, so don't worry about it. That's good. Yes. So I, and I just started to write and I sent, I, I wrote a 70,000 word novel. I knew a novel was technically 70,000 words because I'd done an English lit degree. And I, I got lots of names out of the Writers and Artists Yearbook. At that point, there were probably more publishers in the UK than there actually are now. And I printed up loads of copies. I wheeled all the copies down to the post office in my daughter's pram. She was still very small and posted them off. And three weeks later, I got my first offer, which is a horrible first story for people because quite often people spend years wanting to be a writer. And it, it really wasn't on my list. It was just, I was going to do this thing while I was kind of giving myself some free headspace. And then then I got an agent and laterally got signed up at Random House. And I, I started out writing co contemporary commercial fiction in the 90s, which was great. So I really enjoyed that. Kept getting drawn yeah. back into the historical. I was just really fascinated with where we come from really you know what's our background as a as a culture as a society yeah. and so started to write about and uh, started to write things that were stories that were historical so i have a a nine book series that's set in the, the 1950s as crime series which is very much inspired by agatha christie and then also write these kind of more beefy historical mm -hmm. historical novels in in an earlier period in this 1820s really up till about i don't know 1850 maybe is the the top for that top date for that for that set of books and they're not really related other than that they all come out of my head and they're all set in the same period so they can be you know whatever subject fascinates me really is where I go yeah that's really interesting because like for me I I started off in indie so like a totally different experience for me I was like out of my depth entirely I I did the same thing I I'd always wanted to be a writer. I'd been a published author of children's novels. I'd, I'd sort of won a competition. And she's like, <laughs> you've got one hell of imagination you should be writing. I just remember looking <laughs> at her and thinking, you're crazy. Like, there's, mm. th there's no way that I could do this. You know, I've, I've been technically writing now for 14 years, like on and off. Like, I've got, you know, and it, it's so crazy to me because people ask me all the time, they're like, how did you do it? And and I always feel the same way as you do about, you know, not necessarily having the most exciting story. I, I had an illness. 
I I I needed to find some way to to cope with it, and and that's, that's what I did. I just went for it. I wrote the story that was in my heart and on my mind, and and it was almost the case of I was like, well, I I don't believe that anything's gonna come of this, and I I just kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. Mm. I'm lucky that there there's people out there that love it and and that support me with it and 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 do it with me. I think sometimes my husband would would wish that a I would maybe pop my head up a little bit more the novel every so often, but I think that's all partners. I'm pretty sure all partners are like, uh, <laughs> hi, you remember me kind of feel, you know, and, and I think that's just a genuine thing that mm-hmm. we all do. Like when we're really passionate about something, we just sort of disappear and we kind of vanish and we just, we just sort of say, okay, this, it's a form of yeah, escape, like, really, isn't it? I think it's a form of like just exercising your mind in the way you might go to the gym to exercise your body. You're reading a book and it takes you somewhere. Yeah. Well, and it's great I, think some, I think lots of people yeah. do it for different reasons. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I think it's just great different there. people are so different. So I know lots of writers now, you know, I've been writing for over 20 years and um, I, I, you know, met people all along the way who are doing it. And everyone seems to be, you know, everyone has a different career path. Everyone has different reasons. Everyone has different ideas. And I suppose that's just part of the kind of joy of it, that it's not, it's creative careers really aren't like, you know, being an accountant or being a lawyer or something where there's a career structure and you have to do it in a particular way. Everyone does it in their own way. Yeah. And that's kind of lovely. And I think that's the great thing. It's like, oh, we all have different ways that we've gone about doing this. What would be, you know, your best piece of advice in regards to really nailing down discipline and getting yourself into that <laughs> writing, kind of that writing routine? So we all have different. I think routines. everyone has their own pace. My my pace is f- for fiction is five thousand words a week. I can write five thousand words a week, and they'll be pretty decent. I can sometimes do a little bit more, but I can't do much more than that. I might get a 6,000 word a week. So once you know what your pace is, I mean, I have a friend who writes these really amazing literary, tiny novellas. That's what she does. She writes these kind of very exacting and she writes 150 words a day and that's what she can write. That's it. And so that would be for me, that would feel, that would feel really slow because I'm kind of caught up in narrative drive. So I think what the first thing you probably need to look at is what is the natural pace for you? What pace can you sustain? Because unless you're writing short stories or very short things, this, this sense of sustaining your effort is important. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint, if you're especially writing a novel or a nonfiction book. And so that's why I'm mentoring people. Like one of the first things we often talk about is, you know, what actually is your pace? And, if, you know, if you have, say, a, a nine to five job, can you write for one hour in the evening? And reasonably, what could you expect to get out of that one hour in the evening? And then then you can make a plan for how long, you know, the book is going to take yeah. you because you know what you can, what it's reasonable to put yourself under. So, yeah, my I, I from the beginning, wrote a thousand words a day, five days a week, and a novel is... 70,000 words minimum. So after 14 weeks, you're beginning to get to the point where you've a novel, although the historical yeah. ones tend to to be a bit longer than 70. I think The Secret Supplies with Square is about 110,000 words, something like that. So, it, you know, it, it, it took me a little bit longer. And then once you've got your first draft, you can go mm-hmm. in and, and, and edit. And they're all different. But, you know, people say, how do you edit? And it's like every book, again, is completely different, you know, it's it's different, yeah. Because some books, yeah, so some of them come out of imagination, fully like formed, don't they? They're just like perfect little child, babies, you know. Yeah, and yeah. some of them you have yeah, to exactly. work at because they're not, you know, 
Always, so I think people find it frustrating. Yeah. I think I people totally find it really frustrating sometimes because they will say, well, you know, how do you do it? And then they want to do it that one way and they want to be able to do it over and over and over. And I mean, what in life works like that? That is a creative thing, really nothing. You know, writing is always, if you can keep your heartbeat going in the sense that if you just, you know, do an X amount of words a day, then you're going to be getting somewhere. And then every time it's just slightly different for the editing process or very different. Sometimes it can, you know, can be something that takes two weeks. It could be something that takes six months, actually. You just don't know when, you, when you're finished. You have to look at it and say, a little bit of surgery required. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's exactly what it was like for me. Some of my theories is they just fly out and, and the editor is like, no, don't, don't rewrite anything. Don't add anything. Mm. It's perfect the way it is. Stop it. Leave it alone. And then there's the ones where they'll be like, you have waffles here and there. Can you go back and maybe like streamline mm. it a little bit? Cause you're a waffle. I do waffle. I don't know if you have totally. Three I think, um, I think that's being a populist, isn't it? Your, your um, naturals and landscape is that larger cool landscape. That. So you're liable to yep. sort of have quite a lot to say. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think that, that for me, I had to kind of learn the balancing act of that, mm. where I send info dump a lot too, and and mm. sometimes they have to go in and remind me don't info dump. And info dumping for those of you that maybe aren't used to the short term is essentially when you put in a lot of history mm. or backstory in through your character's thinking, and you tend to do it over two three pages, or you know two, three pages here, two, three pages there, but you're still doing a lot of info dumping. So what I've started doing is sharing through diary entries or doing it as as, as flashbacks or memories or even just starting further back and then working to the present day. And I, I think that's that's a trick I think everyone should look out for because it's really easy to do that. Or Do you find that as well, that you, you kind of, maybe struggle to put the back I mean, I think to learn to know your characters, you need to know where they come from. So it's, there's a little bit of that required, isn't there? I have a particular, for, you know, the Secret Advisory Square and the book previous to it, the Fair Botanist, they have a really wide character range, lots and lots of characters in them and quite an ensemble cast. And so you can't go all that deeply into everybody's backstory because just, you know, there's just a lot of people's stuff happening. You know, everyone's got their stuff happening. You've only got so much space. So, you know, I had to be very careful about what I wanted, what what I felt a reader would want to know. For me, a really good historical novel is quite often just sort of controlled gossip. It's just, what what do you want to know next? What is the thing here that's going to make you the most satisfied with this story? And it doesn't matter if I know that, you know, there was an election that year or, you know, you you might know lots of things that were happening in history that year. That doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, is somebody going to buy that dress? And why do they want to buy that dress? And where are they going to wear the dress? You know, it's like the things in your day. To- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, what, what did they have for breakfast? And how did they feel like yeah. that? And what made them change their mind about something that's important for them to change their mind about? And so for me, it's kind of like a, a time machine almost. You go in and you just are experiencing it rather than explaining it. And if I ever feel I'm explaining it, then, you know, I, that, yeah. It's not something I'm there to do, really. I'm there to to create a world that someone else can walk into and experience. Yeah. So, what are you excited about sharing with the readers moving forward? What's your most um, 
Spice well, of course, project. Secret Surprise with Square is out next week. So that's really good. And I'm excited for people in Glasgow to experience Glasgow in a different way and to see these characters that, you know, they, when you're writing a book like that, it's, yeah. it engages your imagination a lot. And so I've created these characters. And I'm dying to see how people react to them and, you know, if they think they're fun and if they have questions about them and all that sort of thing. And that, that's something that's happened with me before, you know, the book before Secrets of Lies with Square was called The Fair Botanist. And I still, it's like two and a half years ago, actually. And I still get emails and messages from people saying, oh, this character really chimed with me. And so I think it's giving people, other people, that sort of imaginative engagement and yeah. satisfaction and, 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 you know, sharing a story with them, I suppose. That's fun for me. And then quite shortly, I'm about to start writing another historical novel and potentially, I think, also a radio play. So I wrote a radio play that. Yes. So I wrote a radio play last year, which is That's called um, On Portobello Prom, and it's set in Edinburgh. It's on BBC Radio 4 Sounds. Yeah. And if you go to any of my social media, you'll find a link to it on my link tree in there. And it's a five-part drama set in 60s Edinburgh. And the BBC came back last week and said we'd really like something else. And I don't know whether I'm going to write something set in 1960 or whether I'll do something different. I've got a few ideas. So I'm going in to talk to them about that next week and maybe get that done. And then after that, I'll be starting another historical wow. novel, which I think will be set in 1830 Scotland and is about a lost diadem. A lost diadem. So like a tiara crown that has been lost and has been kept in this family and is sort of out of the public eye. And then I can't say what happens, but something happens. And and, and people discover that this this crown yeah, has been kept. This yeah. crown has a lot of historic significance for people. So, you know. Well, I, I will have to say this because I'm doing creative uh-huh. writing as, as a college course right now. And one of the things that I've just learned about is, is, is writing for radio. And the fact that you've been able to do that, and it's a five-episode mm-hmm. thing, and I know what goes into it. I have to say I, I'm completely blown away by that because that is not easy. I mean, I've done a film script, which luckily Touchwood was, was adored by the uh, director, and, and, and it is, it's moving very, very slowly forward thanks to Strike and everything else. but it, to to change mediums for novelists mm-hmm. is so hard, and I always like to take time out and say, oh, really you. honestly, that is absolutely amazing that you did that, and that I I think that's oh, an incredible you. sign that you're a very gifted writer, because I know from from going from that medium myself, if mm-hmm. you you do want to sit there and pull your hair out and you do scream at the computer and you do go ah. It's so much harder than it should be. So yes, I I absolutely think that's amazing, and I I just wanted <laughs> to take the time to say thank you for doing it because I know that there's so many people out there that will adore you for doing that, and and also it's in a way we're mm-hmm. showing that novelists aren't just novelists. We can do far more than just write a novel. And Thank I, you. Well, yeah, I've never written I a film script, so I'm very impressed that you managed that to do that because it's not something that's on, on my register at all. And I have to say, this radio <laughs> drama happened kind of almost by mistake. And I took the story from a short story I had written that was part of a charity compilation. And so yeah. the story, so so adapting it, it was already a story that was yeah. in my head, but there's no story in my head now. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens next, what what the next one is going to be. But I think that's probably my favorite. I always. 
I always say this. This is my best recommendation to people when they're looking for inspiration. I always say, take a walk either through Helensborough, if you're in America, if you're here in Scotland, or through Glasgow City Centre, and find the tiniest little <laughs> cafe. Don't go into the franchise cafes, but just this tiny little cafe, and listen to people around you, and you'd be surprised how often you will walk out mm-hmm. with this. I think walking is really important, actually. I like to go for a walk every day. Uh, Because when you're a writer, you're so sedentary. And it's really good to get get some light and get some inspiration. And I, too, am a big fan of coffee. And, you know, in Glasgow, we're very well served with lots and lots of lovely independent coffee shops. And they got the patter here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's there's plenty of coffee shops in Glasgow. That's for Yeah. You know, everybody mm. here is addicted to co- I swear we're all addicted to coffee in Glasgow because we're all walking around with different cups from different places. Sometimes I'll look at people to see what coffee mm. cups they've got as an inspiration to where I I'm going to go I get my latest like, cup, you know? I try and not to the other thing the that I, Okay. Uh, the other thing that I do, yeah, and the other thing that I do is I, mm-hmm. I will walk into the bookshop and I'll just try and wander around without being recognized. And I'll just take a nosy view mm-hmm. of what what's everybody excited about? Like what's what's the because in Glasgow people read it, it you know it, it is a thing. Lots of people read in Glasgow, and it I always find it interesting to go into to the different bookstores in Glasgow and just listen to mm-hmm. what the books are that they're talking about, and that can sometimes inspire something in me where I'm like, oh yeah, I. I you know, it might just be that I have an idea in my head, but I don't have a genre for mm. it or whatever. It can just sort of be the guidance. But I think where you're, where you are as a writer can sometimes mm. impact you and, and, and sort of drive you to where, it's quite where you, sometimes you need to go. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because anything we write, like my... whatever book I write this year, and I will write a book this year, it's not going to be out till like 2020, what are we, 2024, 25, maybe 26 in hardback. So it's quite far away. So it's quite yeah. difficult that you That's cannot true. write to somebody else's schedule or because someone else has brought out a book you like and you'd like to do that as well. You know, that's it's it's so far away in people's minds from when that came yeah. out. So I think you just have to write what you what appeals to you, you know, for whatever reason it appeals to you. And the stories that divert you hopefully are going to divert other people. And I find that like the writing experience for me is very like the reading experience, but kind of more intense. So, you know, that thing where people just, you have to keep going and you want to know what happens and you're really excited about it. And people might be reading a book over, you know, a couple of days or a week, but you're in that state for months when you're writing that book, because I don't plan. I never really plan. And so I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, people's brains just work in different ways, don't they? But for me, it's quite (laughs) sad. I I can't plan. And one point, an editor said to me, can you write a synopsis? And I wrote the synopsis and honestly, it killed the book. I never ended up writing that book because I I wouldn't have been interested. And, you know, I knew what was going to happen. I I struggle with that too. Yeah. And I I struggle. I'm the same as you. I struggle with that. I have to like have the, the, the chapters broke down. And then I have to walk away. I could not do it. Yeah. And I have to walk away from it. I have to put that to one side for like six uh-huh. months so that I completely forget what it is. And then what I do is I go back and as I write each chapter, it's like I get to really experience it and then it flows really good for me. That's the only way I can do it. Cause when I agree, 
I was Tyham Hill Press, which is a very small publishing company in England. And they said, we want you to release a book to two books a month for the next three years, which is a lot. It's a lot to take Mm -hmm. on. Thank God I have a stack that's like this, this big, like just massive. And I, I was explaining to her, I'm like, I plan every book and then I walk away for a bit and then I come back and I write it and then I go away and I, I put it away somewhere and then I check it, you know, with the editors or whatever. And she goes, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. But for, for me, I have to do that process because I have to almost live mm-hmm. and exist entirely within that world. It sounds like you do the same as I do. And I, there's nothing worse, especially when I'm on, like, if I get to go on tour, which is so rare that I do book tours now. But when I get to go on a book tour, it's even harder for me because mm-hmm. I have to reread that book as I'm on tour so that I remember yes. what I'm talking about when I'm talking to people. Because by this point, Crystal's written <laughs> three other novels, has no clue where she's at in the first one she wrote. And it's like, the, the fans usually know it better than I do. And what I do is I read the entire book to Ian, who's my who's my husband and drives me everywhere. And I look at him and I go, and he'll he'll just give me words, little words to remind me of certain things. Otherwise, I couldn't tell you what, what happened in that book because it's like my brain has this way of going, mm-hmm. that story's Why? told, it's deleted, let's go to the next one. And it's almost like it's like, <laughs> because it has to. There's not enough space in my brain for all of them. So it's kind of like a computer. It's like, oh, that's done. Okay, next one. Oh, that's done. And, and it's the only way I can do it. And it, my editor just thinks it's amazing because when I'm reading it back, why I've completely forgotten the entire novel. So she'll Don't be asking know. me questions and I'll be like, <laughs> hold on, let me Google <laughs> searching through the novel. Ah, <laughs> you know, it's the only way that I can do it. And, and people find that that fascinating but the characters never leave me i've seen me in conversations with my best friend over coffee or my husband over coffee and then i'll start going damn that's the answer to that question and i'll take out my notepad and i'll start writing down things because you know one of the characters sitting on my shoulder suddenly telling me something that's really important and my husband and my best friend have to get used to me doing doing (laughs) and they would just be like Crystal's writing the book. Yeah, you- we'll just wait 20 minutes. She'll be back. She'll be back. And I, I can go right back to the conversation mm. with them like I hadn't missed a beat. But I have to take that 10 minutes to go write down whatever it is the stupid characters whispering in my ear. Do you have a character, though, that you just know where you write them? They don't no. I did for a while, though. I had I wrote this book, set of books called The Mirabal Bevan Mysteries. And so there's nine of them, and they run from 1951 to 1959. And Mirabelle is in yeah. these books, but she also has a sidekick called Vesta, and there are various other people who are. She has a, a squeeze called uh, Sergeant McGregor. He starts out being Sergeant McGregor, and he ends up getting promoted. And so, yeah, I, I, I they were with me for a long time, yeah. and I would be ch- charity shopping, you know, vintage shopping, and I would see a 1950s handbag, and I think, oh, Mirabelle would really like that handbag, or I would, you know, I'd see around the place Mirabelle would really like it if we had this yeah so yeah she was with me for a while but that I I stopped writing that series maybe three or four years ago now and and it's not that she's not there if someone do you think Mirabelle would like this banana I would be able to tell them what I think Mirabelle would think of the banana she's still like somebody that I know quite well but she's not 
all the time. But there was a point in the middle of writing that yeah. series. It's quite intense because if you think about it, like you're writing a novel at, you know, 70, 80, 90,000 words, whatever it is. But then if you're writing a series that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge number. Like it's almost a million words by the time you've written a 10 book series, nine book series. So you spent a lot of time with those people and you yeah, kind of do true. know them inside out. But that was the design, you know, the design of the the series was that it would just be for one book a year for the 50s and, and would be about Mirabelle cheering up, you know, as Britain cheered up, really, because post-war Britain was miserable. And then by the 60s, everyone was quite cheap. So I was kind yeah. of interested in that sort of social history journey yeah, as well. And I think for me, I love my characters, but they are also always within that sort of historical context around, you know, th- yes, they're interesting, but they're interesting because they fit into some kind of pattern important to me or interesting to me that's yeah. really going on in sort of real history and that's that's the interest really I suppose and I write I tend to, well I used to when I started always write in the morning so I would just get up and write in the morning and that was what I did and then I would do other things you know kids and school runs and all that kind of stuff yeah and now my daughter's, of course, of course. grown up yep. and I don't yep. have to do any school runs. And also, once you have a set of books, as you yourself know, you're re- you're not only writing a new book, but you're managing a backlist. And so you've got book festivals yep. and events, these kind of things to do. And also yeah. other interesting projects that come up because I find, you know, writing a book is a marathon, but it is quite nice to do, you know, a, a Zumba class now and then, right? <laughs> and that might <laughs> something you know a short story or a radio drama or something like that and just sort of stretch your brain in a different direction so that you're not constantly pounding the pavement on your marathon of a novel yeah. and so yeah that's that's very much how i i write sort of keeping keeping my brain fresh is is a task i suppose it's part of that writing life of like how do you rest your brain in between how do you you know manage that because you get you can get very tired you know, you yeah. can get very tired. It's it's funny that you were, you were saying about, you know, when mm. you think of the series stuff. I'm sick of Oh, that's a lot of books, Crystal. There two book series. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, it was never, we never planned for it to be 32. We'd always planned for it to be a short series. But the way we built it was like spider webs. So every character gets mm. to have their own say. And gets to tell their own story, and it's it, they're all in the same world, so they're all interacting, and we're always building this world out and out. And when me and my my co-writer Joey Legend sat down and we 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 seriously looked at how many different ideas and different books we were going to write, it came up thirty-two. I was six books in, and I still to this mm. like I get bothered by them all all the time. And I have other series I write. I have to go away and I have to work on other books. And there's nothing more frustrating because I have, like, I have three characters that constantly annoy me, and it's Harold, Marie, and 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 generally Edward. And they will come and they'll be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I like that song. Got to put it in my playlist." Or, "Oh my God, do you see those mm-hmm. shoes? You totally have to wear those shoes when you write my stuff." And it it's so annoying. But what I I think for me, like when I come to the end of my series, is letting go of the characters is the hardest part for me because it's like a, almost like a grieving process. I have to let them completely go, and I have to move on from that. And it's 
so hard. you're much you're much softer than me i'm all like get out of my way i have something new um, to do (laughs) (laughs) because i'm like okay we have to say goodbye now and i promise like i'm not you interesting interesting thing i'm sorry i gotta move on yeah and and i i kind of have that softy softy approach and my husband's like it's the end of the series end it you know he's more the 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 dictator of don't Mm -hmm. you dare go writing things for that character again Mm -hmm. um but he's also the only person that's read everything i've written so (laughs) oh no it's not because he's my biggest critic you you know i i wrote this fantasy series and he's like it was sort of 400 pages and he went you could have deleted the first hundred it only got interesting on page 200 and i was like Mm -hmm. are you kidding me so you know he's always my best critic but i think you kind of need that you need that brutal honesty from somebody out with the publishing industry because i think a lot of the time when you're working with editors they don't Mm -hmm. really want to be that harsh with you and and sometimes when I give him something, he'll be like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't they do that? Why, you know, and he's a, he's an East End Glasgow boy. So, you know, it, it's very brutal, very rough and tough with the way he talks, mm. but it makes sense, you know, and he's, he's really driven me to do more than just romance. What? Like this year, I will be doing my first crime novel. Wow. I'm doing my first thriller. You know, this is a lot in one You know, he—he's such a really. It's a lot in one year. Yeah, and then this is this is me. Like, I don't stop. I very rarely sleep because I I don't sleep very well. And and he laughs at me. He's like, I've never met anybody mm. else that just pushes as hard as you do. And I go because when it all finishes, when it you know when you give your kids your legacy at the end. You want to know that you've done absolutely everything and that they, they can 100% know mm. this is what they've left me. Like, I've got 800 books. Mm. I swear to God, my kids will hate me one day. They will they will look at mom's collection of novels mm. and they'll be like, how the <laughs> do we get rid of these? I swear that there's going to be a summer library that's going to get set up and all these books are going to be in there. And they're going to be like, thanks, mom. <laughs> So do you that, not read digital? The, you don't read digital at all. I read a lot of digital. Ah, no, I can't. I'm dyslexic. I read a lot. I'm of dyslexic, so I can't. Mm-hmm. Which drives my editor nuts. Yeah, it drives my editor mm-hmm. nuts because it takes me longer to to edit than anybody else because I have to go so slow and uh, I oh. also have to have the computer read it to me in order for me to catch any little things as well. But that never stops me because when i look at katherine cookson she was dyslexic she had severe depression issues and look at the the library she gave us look at the pieces of work she gave us and there's so many writers out there who maybe don't talk about their learning difficulties but they create these vast and large pieces of work and and if that's the one thing i can leave everybody today knowing that you know no matter what the uphill struggle is as long as you're you're happy and you're content and you're doing what mm-hmm. you love that that's all that matters and and you know be happy in yourself and be proud of yourself and know that yeah. you're, you're i think you're um, doing something amazing well i don't know if my daughter will thank you my daughter is dyslexic and so she i don't think has read any of my books at all and i don't think she's it's not 
not interested she's around and she will help oh, you with no. book launch or she'll come and you know she's really supportive in that regard but she's not like oh mom I don't know what you did yeah. on page 220 that's just not her she's visually creative she is not like it's not words for her and so yeah I don't I don't even think of it as a legacy I wouldn't yeah. even begin to think of it like that I just think of it as something that I love getting up in the morning to do and this is how I want to spend at least part of my day yeah. I feel incredibly lucky that I get to to do that basically and that I can do that no matter what yeah yeah I mean yeah. I could do this, this is something I have control of if you like it's well I I'll I will uh I will definitely be giving you and your daughter a call when the film comes to Glasgow and be like, hey, do you want to come watch it with me? Because I, I can't watch my own stuff back. So it might be the only wow. place that I'll so go and actually watch the movie back. It's the same with podcasting. Yeah, and, and, and it's the same with the podcast. I mean, what? I go in and I edit them, but I never actually listen to them when they launch. Because <laughs> I'm like, it, it's such a weird thing for me. Like, as soon as it's launched, as soon as something's happened, I kind of just put it away and think okay well i need mm. to go on to the next thing what is the next thing i need to do and i've been really lucky that way but <laughs> you survived the book and life podcast it it's gone fairly well i'm hoping you're going to come thank back you. when your new book's out and you've got your new thank radio you. stuff coming up <laughs> so we can promote the hell out of it for you it's, it's, it's been, been really amazing having you. you on i hope you've enjoyed your time with us yeah so everybody check out sarah's new work it's out next week and yeah, I mean, as the as I always say, find a book, yeah. find life, find happiness, and be who you are. Until next time, I shall see you all again.